Psalm 27 is a prayer of hope written in a time of crisis. David the psalmist was surrounded by the wicked, by enemies, and by foes. He was facing an opposing army and the threat of war on the horizon. Yet David had a single-minded hope in God that helped him to overcome his distress. Now this psalm, Psalm 27, breaks down into two major parts. In the first part, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist expresses his confidence in the Lord, followed by a description of how God will protect him from his enemies. As a devout worshiper of Yahweh in the temple, he says he will be safe from all his troubles. In the second part, verses 7 to 14, the psalmist calls on the Lord to help him, to guide him, and to protect him, ending his petition with a statement of confidence. Now as we look at Psalm 27, we're going to break it into four parts. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see confidence in God. We're going to look at verses 4 to 6 and see communion with God. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 and see the compassion of God. And then finally, verses 13 and 14, the comfort from God. And again, these four parts are from Psalm 27, a prayer of hope. A prayer of hope. So let's consider verses 1 through 3 as this prayer of hope. We begin with confidence in God. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Verse 1 opens with an exuberant confession of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. By the way, this is the only time in the Old Testament the Lord is referred to as my light. But here David calls him my light and my salvation. As light, God is the revealer. As light, God is holy. We see that as revealer in John 1, 4, and 5, and as holy in 1 John 1, 5. And since the Lord is David's light, in his presence the darkness of his enemies and the darkness of his fears are expelled. However, God is not just the holy revealer, he is also salvation. The word salvation as used here uh, is the idea of deliverance or rescue. He's my rescuer. He's my deliverer. It's the same word, by the way, from which the name Jesus is derived. Yeshua. The thought of Yahweh as Savior, Yeshua, led David to this rhetorical question, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Since the Lord will rescue him from his foes, there's no reason to fear his foes. Next, David confesses, The Lord is the defense of my life. Again, the word defense means refuge. Yahweh's protecting him. And again, he asks, Of whom shall I be afraid? So, God's his light. He's his revealer. God's his rescue. And God's his refuge. And so he asks the question, what, Who do I have to be afraid of? In verses 2 and 3, David now turns to his enemies. As God delivers him from them, he is delivered from the source of his fear as well. He remembers that when the wicked come against me, they stumble and fall. 
Verse 3, when he says he's faced by an army and a war rising against him, he said that his heart or his mind will not be gripped with fear. You know, enemy troops may march, but if such a threat should come, and it often did in David's life, he said, and we should say too, we can be confident. The word confident means to feel secure, to be unconcerned. And that security comes only from the Lord, as confessed by David when he said, He's my light, he's my salvation, he's my deliverer. Again, he's my rescue, he's my refuge, he's my revealer. And so in this uh, prayer of hope, David says he has confidence in God. Verses 4 through 6, the second part of his prayer, he says he has communion with God. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David now turns in verse 4 to his single-minded longing. And he describes the passion of his heart in three ways. He says, my single-minded longing is to dwell in the Lord's house, to behold the Lord's beauty, and to meditate in the Lord's temple. And his language is very emphatic. This is passion mingled with a vigor because he's seeking this single-minded quest. He's seeking to live where God lives and to spend his life in God's presence so that he can continually worship him. You know, to dwell in the house of the Lord is not referring to a building. There was no temple or tabernacle at the time when David penned these words. David wanted to dwell in God's temple in heaven. That is God's presence so that he could behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate. The term behold means to perceive with attention. He wanted to perceive with attention the beauty, the delightfulness, the pleasantness of God. And in Psalm 110 and verse 3, it tells us that the beauty of God is his holiness. David wants to perceive with attention the holiness of God. And he knows the only way he's going to accomplish that is to be in his presence. To meditate means to consider or reflect. And it means to consider what God would have you to do in service to him. You know, tragically, our churches are filled with people who quote-unquote dwell in his house, but fail to behold his beauty or meditate on his service. In verse 5, David sees the consequence of his being before the Lord. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me. God does not block us from trouble, but he will protect us through the trouble. The words tabernacle or tent indicate God's dwelling place. And again, this has to apply to heaven itself, as currently there was no tabernacle or temple when David penned these words. It's a place of security. It's a place of refuge. That's what God's presence is. David says he lifts me up on a rock. And as we seek the face of the Lord, as we seek God's presence, we will be hidden in him. And you know what? Your enemy, my enemies, our enemies, will never reach us when we're hidden in the presence of God. 
The results of the presence of God and the protection of God are this. In verse 6, David will triumph over his enemies. That's the meaning of his head being lifted up. Second, he will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. In other words, this is the cry of victory. Robust worship to God in response to delivering him. And third, David promises to sing praises to the Lord. You know, in heaven the saints are singing to the Lamb. Why? Because they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 5, 9. And true worship truly rings with joy from those who are delivered from sin, Satan, and death. Now verses 7 through 12 brings us to the third part, and that is the compassion of God. So we have a prayer of hope. In this prayer of hope, David talked about his confidence in God, his communion with God. Now he's talking about the compassion of God. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. David now turns from his meditation on the Lord to a conversation with the Lord. And from here we can learn the how-tos of devotion. You see, after we've reflected on the character of God, after we've expressed our single-minded desire for God, we need to address God directly. And that's why David prays, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. And then here's his request. He asks for mercy. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. In verse 8, David enters into actual dialogue with God. When you said, Lord, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Now the translation here is difficult because of the divine command. The divine command, seek my face, the verb there, seek, is actually in the plural. So in other words, God wasn't just speaking to David. God was speaking to all of his people, and that is that all are to seek the Lord's face. Um, and in return... Uh, if you want God's favor, you're only going to find God's favor by seeking His face. In other words, coming before His presence. And asking God to turn His face towards him, David entreats the Lord not to respond to him with rejection. Don't hide your face from me. He's asking the Lord, literally, don't be angry with me. See, when God turns his face from someone, it's because he's angry with them. He cannot look upon them. Think about when God turned his face upon, from Jesus when he was on the cross. Why? Because God's anger was turned against Jesus. Why? Because he was taking all of the sins of humanity upon himself. And God was angry with mankind's sin. He couldn't look upon it, so therefore he couldn't look upon his son. David's praying here, Lord, don't hide your face from me. He's praying in humility. Notice he goes on to say, yes, you have the right to judge me, but in your mercy, look at me with favor. I am your servant. Boy, that's humility. And that's how we ought to approach God, with humility, with submission to God. Next, David reminds God of his past goodness. You have been my help. And then the request for God not to abandon him is repeated again, followed by the address, O God of my salvation. He is confessing the Lord as his 
salvation, as his refuge. This phrase echoes the confession of the Lord from verse 1. Indeed, this is true because God delivered him from his enemies and brought him into his presence. Verse 10 completes the thought of abandonment as David adds, When my father and mother forsook me, the Lord will take care of me. Now we need to be clear here, David's parents never forsook him. David's parents didn't just drop him one day and, and walk away and have nothing ever to do with him again. That's not the case. Uh, his parents loved him and his parents were with him all the time. And this is one of those places where we had to be very careful that we don't take the scriptures out of their context. Contextually, when it says, My mother and father forsake me, it's a Hebrewism. It's a way of expressing that his family, his mother and father, have died. Okay? So he says, When my father and mother died, the Lord continued to care for me. Even in my personal loss, David says, even with the love of and security of my family gone, the provision of Yahweh is still there. Just as Moses promised Joshua, the Lord your God, he is the one that goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And here you thought that was just a promise in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13. Where do you think Paul got it from? Paul quoted in Hebrews 13, right from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. He will not leave you or forsake you. David now turns to a prayer for God's ways to be known to him. And that, again, is what our worship does. It leads us uh, to, do from, from, uh, to do the work of God. And so David prays, Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. He's praying for the way of God, the path, the direction that God would have him to go. Lord, make that clear to me. Lead me in a way where I can be taught, where I can be guided through the opposition of those enemies who seek to defeat me. Now from the positive request of verse 11, David moves to the negative cry, Do not deliver me to the greed, the will of my adversaries. Now why would God do that? You know, the answer is that these enemies lie about him. The enemies are false witnesses against him. Violence is their intention. And David says, I'm seeking the Lord's face and the Lord's will and his heart's desire and his actions expose the deception in these attacks against him. And so, for God to deliver David to his enemies would be an improper judgment upon him. To be delivered from him, them, from his enemies, will be a sign of God's mercy. And finally, we come to the last part, verses 13 to 14, in our uh, uh, Psalm 27, our prayer of hope. Again, confidence in God, communion with God, compassion of God. Now we look at verses 13 to 14. And David receives comfort from God. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. You know, David's confidence in God, which we witness right here in verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed, is based on his faith. He says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, the goodness of the Lord is God's blessing in his life during the time he's alive. He knows he's going to be blessed after he leaves this planet, after he leaves this earth, after he dies. But he says, I also know that I'm going to be blessed in this life. Through the attacks of his enemies, David is held by the hope of God's intervention on his behalf and ensuing goodness or blessing. And confident that God hears and answers, David exhorts us to wait 
for the Lord with good courage, and he'll strengthen your heart. He repeats that exhortation again at the end. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, that is a problem believers have today. Nobody wants to wait for the Lord. Everybody's out here running here and there. Wait on the Lord. Everybody's, well, I got to do I want to. I, I, I. And listen, you got to hear yourself. Maybe God has us where he has us because we need to stop. We need to slow down. And we need to wait on him to show us. That means God may take away all these wonderful things that we, we think we need to do and we, that we think we need to have. Not because they're bad or not because they're not good, but because we've become so enamored with, I've got to go here, I've got to do this, I've got to have that, I've got to get this. You know, I just don't feel like, you know, my life's this without whatever. And because of that, you've actually put yourself in a place where you're running or walking without God. God had to put David in a place where he was surrounded by enemies, by the wicked, by his foes, with all those who want to do evil, because David needed to slow down, he needed to stop, and simply wait on God. You know, as we've seen, David had a single-minded desire to behold the beauty of the Lord. In the midst of trials, he turned to the God who had called him to seek his faith. And when his own faith was renewed, he now invited the rest of the nation of Israel to join him in waiting on or waiting for the Lord. To wait for Yahweh, to wait for God to answer in his time. To let him open the doors when he thinks it's right and ready. And so he waits for God to fulfill his promise and to usher him in to his presence. Psalm 27, a psalm, a prayer of hope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for our text here in Psalm 27. That, Father Lord, it outlines us that, yes, while we may be in the midst of a trial, when we may be in the midst of a crisis, Father, we can still have hope. That, Father, we can have confidence in you. That though you've put us here, you have a plan and a purpose. And, Father, that plan and purpose involves bringing us into your presence, but also it involves teaching us how to wait. We are an impatient people. We are people that want what we want, and we want it now. We want everything, Lord, to go back to normal. We want everything to, to, to meet our supposed needs. We want everything to make us feel good. And Father, right now, that's not what you have for your people. You've put your people, once again, as you've done it before, in a place that's uncomfortable, in a place that's not normal, in a place that reveals our own insufficiencies. So Father, we thank you for that. Because Lord, it helps to clear the smoke from our vision, to dispense the fog from our eyes, to see the only thing that's important at the end of the day is being in your presence, is meditating on you, is worshiping you. Not in going here and doing this and doing that. But simply being with you. 
Father, help us to wait. Help us to slow down. Help us to stop and wait. And when we wait on you, let you lead, let you guide, let you direct. And we thank you, Lord, that you will. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.